Today on Cyberwork, Steve Pereira of Visible Value Stream Consulting joins me to discuss DevOps, SecOps, DevSecOps, and his own lifelong love of streamlining projects. You'll hear how his dad's job with Bell Telephone facilitated his early explorations, the intersection of DevOps and Agile, the ever-important security component of it all, and why following your instincts and not the big money payouts might not work in the short run, but ultimately will get you where you want to go in the end. That's all today on CyberWork. Welcome to this week's episode of the CyberWork with InfoSec podcast. Each week, we talk with a different industry thought leader about cybersecurity trends, the way those trends affect the work of InfoSec professionals, and offer tips for breaking in or moving up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Steve Pereira is obsessed with making tech human and leveraging it to deliver continuous value. He shows teams how to use simple tools and techniques to make big changes. For the past 20 years, his focus has been on sharing mapping techniques to guide ambitious and struggling teams towards their true north. He is a former startup CTO, agency consultant, systems and release engineer, finance IT manager, tech support phone jockey, and pizza maker, my favorite. Always focused on the flow of value all the time. Uh, So today we're going to be learning everything we can about DevOps, SecOps, DevSecOps, and careers in this field for cybersecurity aspirants. So Steve, thanks for joining me today. Welcome to CyberWork. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I really appreciate the time. My pleasure. So um, we always like to get uh, get started by getting your sort of personal history in the tech sector. Where did you first get interested in computers and tech? And and when especially did you get excited about the concept of like flow and delivery as a calling? What what drew you to all of this? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. It really brings me back. I uh, grew up in a household where we always had either old or broken equipment lying around because Hmm. my dad worked for bell as a technician. Mm -hmm. And so he would bring back things that like sitting around the office and taking up space. Uh, and you know, we'd sort of get first dibs before it hit a dumpster. And uh, so a lot of stuff was like either not working at all, or there was just no instruction manual or came in pieces. And so I just had this great environment to kind of tinker and, play with things and try and figure out, you know, what is this for? What can I do with it? You know, this seems to have Mm -hmm. the same Jack that I've seen on this other thing. And so a lot of just free form problem solving in, in a, with a sense of play, you know, low low stakes too, because you're not like breaking something later. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Mm -hmm. So it was, you know, very safe to fail environment. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a lot of appreciation for, the, the hardware itself. Um, but I was allowed to kind of tinker with things and I was probably out of my siblings, the most enthusiastic about okay. playing with that sort of like abandoned material. Yeah. And so I gained a lot of familiarity with random bits of technology, but then eventually computers and, um, luckily, you know, working for Bell, we had access to the internet really early, mm-hmm. but we also had a, you know, a second telephone line. So I could, I could dial into BBSs when I was really young. And so yeah. just a lot of exposure and such a huge advantage that, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've really leveraged, um, <laughs> 
particularly well. I've certainly enjoyed myself, but in terms of, you know, all the things that I could have been early on and, and, and seen coming, I've always struggled with like the right thing at the right time. Right. I'm Mm. not necessarily a product person or a trends person. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you speak more about that? Yeah. So, I mean, just things like, uh, I, I, things like infrastructure automation or Mm -hmm. desktop automation, these things that I knew were really important and valuable. Um, I was always in a situation where it's like, yeah, great. But like, I care about this. Nobody else cares about this. Right. And so like bridging the gap, I think, you know, there's a brilliance to understanding the right thing at the right time for the right customer fit. Mm -hmm. And I've never been, I've never been that person. I've always been like, I think this thing's cool and I'm going to do this. Right. And, okay. And and never really paid attention to whether it was like marketable or like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, something that, that could be really big. Can you sort of give me an example of like, I was, I was busy with this, but meanwhile, on the other side of town, this thing that was going to get huge was, was happening. And I, I do, do you, can you think of any sort of like, uh, you know, parallel oh, timeline? Yeah, well, things? I, Oh, I mean, my entire career has been that. I would say <laughs> that like when I first got involved in build and release engineering or just generally assembling software and shipping it out the door, mm-hmm. I was very early, like burning CDs and and putting them in, not as early as some, but like burning right. CDs, putting them in a, in a printed binder, putting yep. that in an envelope and shipping it, like literally shipping it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, I think a more enterprising mindset would be like, well, everyone's going to have to do this. So I should just start a company automating this thing and sell it right. for a ton of money. Yep. yep. Meanwhile, I was like, this is, this is fun. I like, you know, I like automating things and yes. this makes my job easier. So Got it. that's great. Yep. Gives me more time to do something else. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of things along the way that I've learned and been very comfortable at the edge, mm-hmm. but I've just seen these things come, come and go, you know, like so I've been seen, doing you, something you've and then your ideas pops come, up and gets millions you, of dollars in funding. Yeah, and yeah. 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 You've seen your ideas come, come roaring up behind you and, and, and sort of pace you in the uh, sort of race of <laughs> stock car race of life. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sure that's not yeah, uncommon in the, in the tech space, right? There's a yeah, lot oh, of folks sure. who see things coming way before they hit the, right. hit the market. Well, then there's also the opposite of like people who, who say like, oh, if I could only get this thing off the ground, I can tell this is going to, going to make a mint, but they don't actually have like the know-how to do it. They just sort of are telling people at Thanksgiving all the time, like, oh, if I can just get this one thing off the ground, then, uh, you know, you know, easy street and it's over for you losers, you know, or whatever. (laughs) But, uh, um, oh, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I, I I think about that all the time too. I I feel like whenever you like tell a family member you're working on this thing, the first thought is always, oh, you should, you should try and make money off that. And you're like, no, I'm just, I just like doing it. I'm just going to do it. You know? So (laughs) it's definitely two different mindsets. And I've, I've talked to both on the show and I like them, like them equally. So, (laughs) yeah. And I, I would say that, you know, it's something that is pretty rare in tech, but is growing is this understanding of customers and understanding of mm. value and demand yep. and what yep. people really want versus what we like to play with mm-hmm. and what is what we think is valuable. And mm-hmm. that exercise of just putting your mindset in someone else's shoes and position and yep. environment is so valuable and so rare. 
And, um, that's, that's the sort of thing where like, I've been focused on this flow and delivery and automation for my own purposes for very long time. And just mm -hmm. recently, you know, the past five years shifted that into, this is something everybody needs. I keep yeah. hearing people struggle with it and mm -hmm. it's just the only way to really reach the level of scale and performance and consistency, predictability that, that we need now that all this complexity is just constantly rising and, and nothing's getting easier necessarily. So this ultimately sounds like in this particular case, you did hit the right thing at the right time, though. Like you, this thing that you've been interested in for a very long time, like the 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 sort of the complexity of the the process and the market has finally caught up where these ideas that you'd been sort of workshopping for decades, maybe at this point, are 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 are, ne are necessary to everyone else. And now it's just a matter of getting the message out. Is that is that accurate? I think that's I think that's where a lot of uh, the industry is right now is that mm -hmm. the, the tech industry is now seeing that there really is no gap between tech and business. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there is no silo in an organization mm -hmm. that actually improves performance. So yeah. we're, we're starting to look across the entire organization. We're starting to look at all the things that are involved in, getting value to customers yep. and having really uh, few avenues to make sense of that right now. You know, there's a clear gap in like, how do I understand that? How do I visualize it? How do I understand where to focus and what's really going to make a difference? And all of these things are really mixed in with business goals and customers and um, unique capabilities and things that are been commoditized and you should be outsourcing. And mm -hmm. it's, a, uh, you know, it's this network of so many different factors yes. that are interdependent. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. uh, so we've, we've got lots to learn about systems thinking and applying it to business and applying it to work and collaboration. And that's, that's really exciting to me right now. Okay, so um, my my next question was about uh, your your you've sort of answered this partially, but you've gotten very uh, interested over the last however many years in uh, the DevOps and build and release game for you know a long time. But can you talk about some of the the projects or tasks that you did? You mentioned the you know burning CDs and sending them and and things like that. Uh, what are some other things that you took on early that really got you excited about sort of going down this path? Yeah, well, it's it's been a pretty similar pattern over the course of my career. And it's, if I could point to one thing, it's a desire to kind of automate myself out of a job. Yes. I heard that phrase before once one of yeah. our, uh, you know, we had a, a security uh, um, analyst go to security manager and he was saying like, automate yourself out of your job. Once you, uh, all the things you do manually that can be sort of automated and processed, you can move one level up in there. So, so, so talk more about that concept of automating yourself out of your job. Yeah, well, I, I've always wanted to move that level up, you mm -hmm. know, wherever possible. Yep. Because uh, I don't come from a credentialed background. Like I've, I never went to um, a university or college program mm -hmm. for computer science or anything rigorous. Like I don't have a degree. I have a couple of certificates that I picked mm -hmm. up along the way, but yep. 
uh, I always lacked the credentials to really walk into a high profile engineering position and start calling the shots. And so part of my motivation to automate myself out of a job is sort of like, I have to prove myself from the bottom up. And until I can basically say that I've, I've learned this to the point where it's, it is dialed in and you can hand it to someone else so I can do something else. Um, that was always something that I had in the back of my mind. It was like, I can't move up until I can prove that I've got this dialed in. Yeah. And so that was a big motivation for me. And I've always been drawn to bigger ideas, bigger problems, more impact. And so I had a very strong desire to be moving up and up and up in terms of influence and, and, and scope. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, so since we're talking about uh, DevOps today, for the sake of listeners coming to this concept for the first time, we have a lot of uh, novice security people and novice programmers and so forth listening to the show. Can you give us the the 20,000 foot definition of, of DevOps and how it relates to the cybersecurity field? Yeah. So they've become very intermingled over yeah. the past couple of years, and it's been mm-hmm. very interesting. And I'll talk about my perspective on that and, and how I see that okay. um, sort of cross-pollination or, or convergence. But DevOps is uh, essentially about bridging gaps between okay. different groups and different incentives. And that, I think, is the simplest and most clear way to understand it is that development and operations are very separate concerns in most organizations. Mm -hmm. One side is very concerned with going as fast as possible, getting value out to customers, and hopefully getting feedback uh, as quickly as possible and moving on to the next thing. And the other side is very disincentivized from that. You know, they, they are incentivized to keep the lights on, to keep everything, the status quo, to not change at all because it makes their job much more complicated Mm -hmm. and so that kind of that's a natural conflict in in organizations and it's built in right i mean if it's kind of unnatural for those folks to uh work in each other's favor or accommodate each other's incentives right Right. it it doesn't make sense yeah right so Mm -hmm. devops is really about how do both sides achieve a higher level of performance by combining forces and leveraging common tooling and practices and visibility so that they're not so opposed, you know, and because in reality, they're not right. If you talk to anybody in ops, of course, they care about going fast. Of course, they care about making customers happy yep. and vice versa. Developers don't want to break things. You know, they're they're very happy to be maintaining an extremely high level of quality. Right. And so DevOps is really a, a practice of bridging that gap in a way that those two sides are not opposed uh-huh. and they can be leveraging each other's strengths rather than at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that all the tooling and everything is just a means to creating common tooling and visibility that they're both benefiting from, both sides are benefiting from. Mm-hmm. And where we're going is now encompassing things like security and 
even finance and planning and shaping and customer success. And that's why you hear that, you know, dev, biz, sec, ops. Yeah. Um, and yeah, various alphabet soup versions of all these things. Right. Mm-hmm, it it mm-hmm. essentially is just pointing to the fact that we're now working across the entire organization yes. in value streams that flow from we have something that a customer wants or something that we want to provide mm-hmm. to we've actually delivered that and we've validated that it's valuable. Mm-hmm. We understand that that is something that people want. And so we can move on to something else, you know, keep it yeah. going, but do more, do better. Yeah. And security is one of these things that needs to be present through that entire yes. thread. Right. Mm-hmm. And traditionally with legacy ways of working security was a phase just like testing was a phase just like operations was a phase yep and there was the the handoff instead yes, of exactly. this partnership right you're and, on your own now yeah, collaboration take, take the thing and yeah yeah right and so you know we used to be in a situation and i think in a lot of organizations we still are product teams have come a long way but we still have these kind of shared services and mm-hmm. dependencies and bodies inside the organization that have very specific responsibilities and their incentives are not aligned. Mm, mm-hmm. And where you get alignment is in stream aligning all of these teams and capabilities, mm. which means early on in the flow, you have security as a consideration in some form. You know, it could be as simple as a checklist. Uh, It could be as simple as a quick assessment. You know, does this raise alarm bells or not? Mm -hmm. And it really just does have to be that simple. And then as you flow through and get closer to the customer delivery, the deliverables change, the concerns change, the scope changes, Mm -hmm. and you get closer to, yes, this is safe. This is valuable. This is high quality. This is performant. This is what they asked for. Um, and maybe beyond. And that flow from start to finish, it really does involve participation and representation from all these different groups. And the way that we're starting to do that is really interesting. So we're Hmm. starting to move into scenarios where we have these stream aligned teams that have just the folks who are really most key to delivering the product, but leveraging capabilities that get provided by all kinds of different specialist platforms and platform teams. So in software delivery, what that looks like is I have a team that builds and provides uh, developer environments as a service to the rest of the organization. So across all my product teams, Anybody can get an environment with a couple of clicks or a Slack message or a command line call or an API call or something like that. And that's our product. You know, we, we deliver that to the organization Mm -hmm. and security, I believe should function in exactly that way. So we provide secure capabilities and guidance in a self-service manner to Uh all the participants across the value stream who need security as part of their value delivery process, right? So early on, that means that 
as a product owner, I can go into Jira and when I create a new task, it has security represented as, as the requirements, right? Like there's clarity on the uh, this, this task or this story needs to be secure. It needs the following things. And if it has those things, you can move on. You know, we can progress mm-hmm. through the flow. And then all the way down, it starts to look like um, automated validation inside of a pipeline where the mm-hmm. code goes through and we check the the software bill of materials and, and check the provenance of, of everything that's being included as a dependency. Mm-hmm. And all the way. So then, and it might actually end up as um, parts of the release note, you know, this mm-hmm. security fixes, right? So there's no point in that flow, in that end-to-end value stream where security isn't represented in some way. Mm-hmm. But what you don't want to do is have a security role inside of each of your product teams because you might have hundreds of them. Right. Yes. And you can't, like having hundreds of them is not a solution because where are you going to get a level of standardization? Uh, where yeah. are you going to yeah. get coordination? Where are you going to get common tooling yeah, or learning across? That's more rather than less complexity. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I'm a very strong believer in this sort of products and platforms approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, with a, you know, a very loose definition of platform, you know, platform meaning as someone who doesn't do this full time and it's not my focus, I can leverage the capability uh, without bothering somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's usually in, in most cases today is I go bug someone from security mm-hmm. or probably more likely someone from security bugs me when they notice something that I didn't do. Right. And so eliminating that friction, eliminating the delay, eliminating the handoffs and those separate incentives uh, is is really where we're going. And that's really what I'm excited about, because if we talk about security in a platform context, in a self-service context, uh, that security team is 100 percent incentivized to create a very capable um, self-service platform they understand a customer, you know, they understand an ultimate customer to the business, but they also understand internal customers and they can be, you know, tasked with providing that, that service, whatever it looks like. And, uh, and I think that's really the key to unblocking this high performance flow that, that is just ultimately focused on delivering value as quickly and continuously as possible. Okay. Um, can you uh, talk about your your four key maps of DevOps and the and the four by four method for DevOps success? Does how and also how does your approach differ from uh, other traditional thinking about DevOps, or or how does it build on it? Yeah. Well, um, I think essentially what I see from a lot of folks in the agile space and the DevOps space is uh, like a checklist first approach. Okay. Or, you know, based on assessment or based on maturity and basically saying, here's a laundry list of things that good look like. And if you have these things, you're probably doing the right things. And um, where you have gaps, we're going to help you out. We have a tool for it or we can coach you. Mm -hmm. But what's missing from that is that it doesn't actually connect to what the organization needs or what they care about. Mm -hmm. And so 
that was something that I've noticed over the years and didn't see good guidance, good practices to address it. And so the four key maps, uh, which, which have now been uh, reassembled into something that I call flow engineering. Okay. Start with really understanding the target outcome. And I think that's missing from a lot of DevOps uh, efforts yeah. these days. Yeah. It's like, what are you actually trying to do? Because you're not Literally. actually trying to stand up a pipeline, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not in the business of standing up pipelines, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get paid for standing up pipelines. Your customers don't care about your pipeline. Yeah. yeah. And and so it's starting from that customer connection, the OKRs, the, the objectives, the mission, the vision, whatever it is, that North Star that's guiding your efforts yes. is where we start the mapping process. And the Got mapping, it. the reason that we map is because there's a lot of different people with a lot of different understandings of what the organization ecosystem or the team ecosystem looks like, right? They have their own incentives. They have their own understanding of this is my job. I work with this person. That person hands me work and I hand work to that person. I get in trouble when this happens, but there's very few people who have a holistic understanding of how all the dots are connected and how those dots connect to the target you know, the, the goal, what everyone is heading towards. And so by mapping outcomes, what we really do is we get people together. It's either on a whiteboard or on a collaborative whiteboard online. And we throw around a bunch of post-it notes. And by now this is a very dialed in process. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's very um, systematic, but uh, in the early days, it was really about understanding of all the things that we could focus on, what is going to drive the most positive impact? And then try and understand what are the obstacles? Um, what are the investigations that we can do to understand more about the current state and what we're dealing with? Mm-hmm. And then you could tack on all kinds of things where you saw value. You might dig into like, why is this the most important outcome compared to all the other things that we could focus on, right? Yes. What does it really look like? Um, how does this address the biggest challenges that we have? And so we would just sort of build out this picture of what the target looked like and what would have to be true for the target to be reached. And that was really powerful for grounding everything else in the sense right. of context and understanding yeah. and including people from the very start, because it's not a technical thing at all. You know, mm. whatever, whatever your focus is, whatever your level of visibility, you can participate and be a part of this. So the mapping really kind of brings people together and everybody starts to get the same understanding of what they're dealing with. And then we take that and the next map is a value stream map. And that's essentially just asking the question, what are we doing right now to deliver value to customers? What happens and how long does everything take and where do things tend to fall apart? Like where are we having challenges? And what you surface out of that is a few hotspots and 
because you're measuring performance, like you, you at least have timing on how long things take. And so you can sort of prioritize and you could say, these are the top three things. This is the number one, the number two, the number three. And if you were to tackle these things, you would see a measurable impact and you could forecast. You could say things will speed up by 40% or you'll have 30% less defects, uh, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. And then you take that and we look at those hotspots, not everything. We just look mm -hmm. at the hotspots okay. and try to understand what are the dependencies that those are connected to? What are mm -hmm. the teams? Because often what happens is people struggle in something like automated testing or security approval. And it's very clear that it's painful that they have to go to the security team and get file a ticket and then wait. And there's a seven day SLA and it always takes seven days because they have seven days. Yeah. But that doesn't get visualized in a way that they could bring something to leadership and say like, here's where we're trying to go. Here's where we're being slowed down. Here's what's slowing us down. Yes. And we've been able to bring that to folks and have a really productive conversation about it. So the maps really give you this like visual artifact that you can yeah. share up, down, across. Hmm. And the last piece, the last map there, um, and this is now probably eight maps at this point. Oh, um, wow. Okay. I've, I've added a lot just for different scenarios where there's information that we want to dig into more. So uh -huh. it could be any number of maps, but the four that I started with were were these four. The last of the four is capability mapping. And it really looks at, again, only focused on those key bottleneck areas, the key hotspots that are having the most impact on performance. What are the capabilities that would allow them to level up or address those constraints? And sometimes it's, we don't, we don't have skills in automation or we don't have internal security expertise. So we have to go to the security team and we would map that out. So we take those few things, probably five to eight capabilities and understand, okay, who owns that thing? And is, does that person have a backup? Do they have documentation? Do they have APIs that they can use? Do they have playbooks? Um, how long have they been doing the job? How long does it take to train someone to do this? Mm -hmm. And you start to form this understanding of, okay, no wonder you're struggling in these areas because you've got all these gaps. And we only care about the gaps that are connected to the outcome and the specific things that are most connected to what's holding you back. All right. So, um, yeah, the, that's, that's great. Um, I, now I want to, um, you, you mentioned for instance, the, uh, you know, like the, the slowdown of like, you have to bring in the security team and then you make a claim ticket and then seven days later, or they, they take seven days cause they can and stuff like, uh, can you give some other examples? What are some of the big points of friction between the development team and the security team that you see kind of regularly? Um, uh, you know, are, are there sort of, as you work from company to company, are there certain things like re repeating sort of patterns that you see? Yeah, well, I think that it always comes back to incentives. Like whenever you mm -hmm. have different incentives, you're going to have a bad time. And if you have nothing to align those incentives, then 
you're basically set up to fail because you can't count on people to do things that are against their best interest. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be, that would be a miracle and it's not a, it's not an actionable strategy, Mm -hmm. but you can actually leverage a strategy if you're able to connect to a higher level goal, something that both sides share, right? So in development and security, for instance, they have clearly opposite uh, incentives. Security probably has something similar to operations where they'd rather things don't change. They'd rather be able to focus on a small number of variables, less complexity, and really lock things down. And obviously that works against development um, in in a traditional environment. And really, bringing those groups together is an exercise in what are you most worried about? What's really going to, what's really going to get you promoted Uh on either side? And how do you connect those dots together? So everybody gets what they want. And that usually means that you pick something that matters to both sides. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a high level, some executive, uh, like a CIO or a CTO says, we need to deliver twice as fast, or you know, we need to um, onboard 500 new customers in the next six months. Hmm. That is a challenge that is shared by everybody who's yeah. involved, right? So, from the security side, it's how do you do what you do as quickly as possible, and ideally without manual intervention. How do we do it early? So it has to be baked into development to some degree. And how does it not grind development to a halt with, you know, too much manual intervention, um, too much ambiguity, because, you know, you could be doing the wrong thing and then just get corrected and corrected and corrected, but you're not empowered to actually do the right thing. Right. And so I think that the... The, the sweet spot and where I'm spending a lot of time now with security folks is how do you make the right way, the easy way. Mm-hmm. And I think even beyond that, we have a lot of possibilities now to make the right way, the automated way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if we have to go outside of that golden path or the easy way, um, have some practices to to understand why we had to do that and some commitment to bringing that into the the easy way as soon as possible. And I, I think those guiding principles are pretty simple to grasp. They're not easy, but they are simple. And they really tackle, I think, the biggest problem, which is just getting those groups to speak the same language mm-hmm. and work together rather than have to compromise, right? Because I think yeah, if we yeah. count on people to have to compromise, it's just nobody's going to be happy. Everyone's dragging their heels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was, uh, I decided to um, look internally for questions as well. This is, I'm a little out of my <laughs> depth in terms of this this topic here. So I, I was speaking with Eric Nielsen, who is our, our senior DevOps engineer here at InfoSec to get his advice and insight for this interview. And I got this question that he wanted me to ask. He said, uh, I tend to think that DevOps is the logical extension of agile, that the goal is to deliver value as quick as you can, securely and faster than your competitors. Can you speak to the history of DevOps and how it relates to agile? 
Is that does that? Oh yeah, that's a great yeah. question. Okay, good. Um, and it's actually it's actually interesting, and I think you, folks listening will will be a little bit surprised by my answer. But okay, great. Um, so agile actually comes from projects, right? It comes from we have something that we want to deliver to customers. Yep. And way, the way that used to be done is that you would, you know, burn a CD and put it in the mail mm-hmm. or, you know, you would install something on someone's computer. Yes. But it wasn't continuously updated, right? You basically never update it until you released a new version of the software. Yeah. And usually yes. that was a point release. And, and even then a lot of people didn't know that they needed to sort of ask for it or whatever I imagine. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you'd be mm-hmm. in, you know, you'd constantly be battling people to install the new version because they're happy with the old version. What does mm-hmm. that get me in? Is it mm-hmm. worth the trouble? Yes. And agile was basically like, how do we speed that up? And it was essentially focused on speeding it up and getting better feedback earlier. Mm-hmm. And so from that loop of, you know, we're going to do a bunch of stuff. We're going to do a lot of planning. The whole waterfall original strategy was just like a gigantic effort because they were really only focused on these point releases, right? 1.0, mm-hmm. 2.0 is the next one. There you go. Nobody's, you know, and these days we're doing point, 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 point. Yeah, 2.1.3. Every yeah. three hours, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the sense of scale was inc- incredibly different. Mm-hmm. But and the pace of change because yeah. nobody wanted change more often than like once a year, right? I mean, it was people were used to infrequent change and the cost of change was very high. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened with Agile and this desire to deliver more quickly and get better feedback and feedback more often that resulted in better products. Um, at a time when we were developing software for internally for companies, so we didn't actually have to mail things across the country or install things on people's hardware. Um, you know, we started getting into situations where you could just pull the latest version from a centralized machine and install it yourself. And, you know, you could tolerate more change and more rapid change and got a little bit more seamless. But what happened was that was very successful. And so all of a sudden you had tons of work and tons of change flowing through the system and it would just crash up against operations, right? That was Mm -hmm. like, we just got like, we just got a handle on the last thing that you guys wanted us to to install. Uh And now you got another thing and this breaks all the old stuff. And so that wall and that lack of, you know, unified incentives and flow really put a giant strain on operations. And you would see these big release days and you'd have to get all the ops people in the room. And then you'd have to have like, I don't know if you were ever in a situation where you were in a a knock, a network operations center Mm -hmm. and watching a release night and watch all the traffic go to zero and things Uh, not come back. Yeah, yeah. And or see see errors spike and all kinds of things. (laughs) We were in terrible situations because we couldn't get these people in the same room, couldn't get them to talk to each other. And so Mm -hmm. DevOps was really about let's bring ops into the process earlier and let's treat Mm -hmm. them as if they're part of the same team Mm -hmm. and let's collaborate together instead of throwing work over 
a wall to each other. And, you know, it was both ways was you throw it to ops and ops was like, nope, this is like, you know, missing release notes or it's, you know, I, I I ask for this and I never get this. So they'd throw it back. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, that's where the incentives were, right? Ops is like mm-hmm. super incentivized to throw it back because if they yeah. throw it back, they they got three more days before Off they get everything for a while. else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but the main piece that's important to remember here is that this is all, this all comes from projects. This all comes from, we're going to decide to do a bunch of stuff. Even if it's two things, we're going to start those things and we're going to finish those things. And then we're going to start some more things. And there's only so small that increment can get and mm-hmm. that loop can get. And all along what we had from the physical world actually comes from making cars was lean methodology and the Toyota production method, which is basically work flowing through a system and the system being very important to work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would have designs and, and adjustments and feedback flowing constantly in both directions. You'd have work yes. flowing out to customers, right. you'd have feedback flowing back and you'd be changing the process and improving the process so that the work and the product was better. Mm. And so that was a continuous practice that did not fit the way that we used to make software because it does not fit when you have to burn a CD or throw something in the mail or install gotcha. something on a server. Yes. But now we have all the ingredients to start continuously delivering software. Mm-hmm. And so all that old project um, framing is starting to become a bottleneck, a, a, an issue mm-hmm. because it's the wrong model. And, and this is a personal opinion. This is, mm-hmm. It's shared by quite a few people, but I will put a, an asterisk on it. Um, and I'm happy to really discuss it with anybody, but I very strongly believe that we were going down this, this project path for a long time. We got to DevOps and that brought us to a point where we basically realized we could go no further with mm-hmm. that model. And you can do things like work in, Kanban and DevOps. And so you have some flow, but essentially you always have to kind of reconcile with different parts of the organization that are still doing things Mm project-like or, you know, agile-like. But if you were to really back up the car and take the, instead of taking the fork into project world, you followed the continuous flow road, then you would get into where we are now, which is value streams and value stream management. And value stream management comes from uh, Toyota mm-hmm. and comes from lean practices and really understanding the, the continuous flow of work. Yep. And that model is what a lot of folks are focused on now because it means security is included from the start. It means that you're building basically a number of internal value streams and you have core streams which connect directly to customers and you have supporting streams with which connect to the core streams and support the core streams so security would be a supporting stream yes that is enabling um good practices and positive outcomes in all of your core streams 
And what happens when you build a really strong core, core stream is that you can leverage that capability across all your, all your other streams, right? Um, sorry, I probably said that wrong. If you build a strong supporting stream, you can leverage that capability across all your core streams. Got it. Yes. Okay. So um, I want to move over to the um, career work side of, of the of the question here. Uh, for people who are listening to this and want to get into DevOps or especially DevSecOps or some combination of, of uh, you know prefixes and suffixes, um, you know, with a security background. Um, you know, I mean, you're a great person to ask because you learned all of this because you were simply interested in it. But like, what would what would you say to someone who wants to sort of get into this space now? And, and what are some things they can be doing in a similar way where they get to sort of like play and, and you know, without consequence and break things and figure out how things work and things like that? Do you have any any recommendations in that area? Yeah, I would definitely, you know, I, I kind of hit a lot of things with the same hammer. And one of the things that I uh, one of the hammers that I use is this working backwards, mm-hmm. you know, starting from a target outcome, mm-hmm. a vision, something that you can, uh, you can sort of put together almost like a press release, right? Like this, this has happened. It was a great success and here's why it was successful. Mm-hmm. And thinking of your career in that context uh, if I did that, I would have saved myself a ton of time. Um, yes. and, and it's something that I've come to very recently. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's just this idea of if you understand what you want and you you're able to describe it very clearly to yourself, then you can start to break it apart and break down what it would take to get there. Gotcha. And so there's a lot of flow engineering work that I kind of apply in many different contexts. One of those things is this idea of if I have a target and you could set it wherever you like a really good horizon though, is like 12 months out, right? Looking Mm. too far in the future is really challenging because it's things change all the time and and they're always changing faster. But if you say, here's where I want to be in 12 months, uh, it's really powerful to tell people about that. Hmm. Um, and, and because people like to help and they like to understand just like, just like what we do with the mapping exercises, they like to be a part of creating something successful. Mm -hmm. And so if you tell people, here's what I'm, I want to be, here's where I want to be in 12 months. Mm -hmm. And, uh, essentially, you know, here are my obstacles. Here are the things that I'm, I'm going to, I anticipate struggling with. Here are the gaps in my capabilities. Here's what I'm doing right now. Here are the investigations that I that I think will move me in the right direction. Um, then you're going to paint this picture that that really increases your odds of making progress. And it's not a guarantee of success, but you will have connected the dots to your target outcome in a way that you can feel confident that you're headed in the right direction. But also, I think, and and very importantly, you can share that with other people and say, what am I missing? Right. Um, Yes. Yeah. This is is what I've sort of put together. And you can show that you've done your homework. And that Mm -hmm. that I think is really valuable to people because nobody wants to feel like, you know, you're you're wasting their time. But it's really interesting to see a plan 
and try to poke holes in it and try to understand, well, how, how's this going to happen? I'm, yeah. And that's, a I'm much not different, clear on this, this. That's a much this, different ask than help me. You know, it's like, here's what I've right. got. Here's what I'm thinking. What, what do you see as the issue rather than can you get me a job or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And people mm-hmm. love to, you know, they love to poke holes, but they also love to, um, give advice. And if yeah. you're asking for advice, it's much easier than asking for a handout or asking for, um, you know, um, to pick someone's brain, Yes, uh, you right, know, you right. being specific and, and bringing your homework, I think is really valuable. Yeah. And, and that starts a dialogue and the clearer it is, the more you've connected the dots, the more people can say, well, I don't really know about this part, but this piece, like I know someone who's done something like that and I, mm-hmm. I can connect you to that person. Yes. Uh, but also, I think the other piece here is that when you work backwards, you start looking at methods and outputs. And so eventually you're looking at these are the things that I'm going to do on a regular basis, mm-hmm. right, that are going to make a measurable impact. And so I can track progress. I can actually see. And you can base that on a hypothesis, right? If I, if I uh, reach out to... 10 people a week uh, who are in my dream job and I ask them a question about, you know, what are they worried about or what, what they do in my situation. And I share my plan or something like that, or, uh, you know, I'm involving them in an investigation that I'm, that I'm conducting and they're going to see the results. So they're kind of, they get something out of it. Then all of a sudden you've got sort of a recipe for action. It might not be a recipe for success, but as you're gathering feedback, you will close the gap between possibility and reality. And I think that's very powerful. And, and it's hard to get a feeling of confidence without that, you know, it's, it's hard because um, it's hard to say, like, I've checked my math and this should work. And if it's not working, I'm going to know because mm-hmm. I've got signals, right? That it's yes. either headed yes. in the right direction or not headed in the right direction. So it's, it could be anything and, and daily progress is so important. So if you, yeah. if you commit to commenting on three posts a day or you know providing feedback to someone, um, being a part of different organizations, is so important. Like that's one of the things that mm-hmm. I think I didn't mention, but it's been so valuable to me. Uh, I, I, I inherited the DevOps meetup in Toronto yep. uh, after being a part of the community for about a year, but I was, I was really passionate about it and I got involved and I volunteered my time and my effort and I contributed and I always raise my hand and I ask questions and I, mm-hmm. you know, I share my ideas with people and, and try and get feedback. And so when the owner of the meetup, his company got bought, he got sent to San Francisco. He said like, Steve, you got to take over the meetup. Like there's no other person uh, to run the community. And I've been doing that ever since. And it's been, it's been an incredible way to connect to people and hear about what's going on. And if I was ever looking for a job, you know, it'd be the first place that I go to. 
Right. Also, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the whole the whole idea of DevOps is about collaboration anyway. So it's it's such a natural extension to sort of collaborate with the collaborators and see and like you said, poke holes and see what's what's missing and so forth. So that's that's very exciting. So as we wrap up, uh, do you want to tell our listeners about Visible Value Stream Consulting and your, what the services you provide and, and things you're excited to do and reveal in 2022? Yeah, well, um, I'm spending my time across a couple different um, initiatives lately. I'm writing okay. a book for okay. IT Revolution that's coming out next year. Oh, great. But, um, so folks can sort of stay tuned with that. Yeah. There's a link. We could maybe put a link in the show notes for that. Absolutely. There's a newsletter yeah. that goes out. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a part of the Value Stream Management Consortium, which is kind of a new organization that's dedicated to this idea of value stream management and what it means to software and the digital world and mm-hmm. knowledge work. And we're coming up with a lot of groundbreaking stuff that hasn't really been figured out in the software world. So really excited about that. There's actually a course that we published on value stream management that I think is an incredible resource for anyone who's curious about anything from agile to DevOps to value streams and flow. It's all in there and all the history and how it all fits together. And um, there's an ebook. So for anyone who's interested in the collaborative mapping and flow, there's uh, flow.visible.is has a free ebook okay. that walks through uh, the whole start to finish with it, examples and hopefully makes it really clear. And then I've got a couple of things coming out really soon that I think folks will really like. So um, anyone who wants to connect to me through LinkedIn, yep. uh, I, I spend a lot of time on there. I, I, I throw a lot of opinions around too. So hopefully it's entertaining to folks and I'd love to have conversations with anybody Great. either via email or LinkedIn or Twitter. Yeah, I was just gonna ask you, do you have any uh, social media handles you want to uh, promote? Yeah, well, I'm... Um, on LinkedIn, I'm I'm DevOps TO, so you, you could okay. you could find me that way. Um, on Twitter, I'm Steve Elsewhere. Okay, and uh, my email address is uh, Steve at Visible.is. Perfect, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is a this was a big eye opener. I really appreciate your insights. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for putting up with my rambling. No, that was great. Yeah, I I learned a lot and I I know our listeners did as well. So uh, thank you again. And as always, thank you to everyone who is at home or at work uh, listening and supporting the show. New episodes of the Cyborg Podcast are available every Monday at 1 p.m. Central, both on video at our YouTube page and on audio where refined podcasts are downloaded. And I want to make sure that you all know that we have a lot more than weekly interviews about cybersecurity careers to offer you. You can actually learn cybersecurity for free on our InfoSec skills platform. If you go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and create an account, you can start start learning right now. We have 10 free cybersecurity foundation courses. Uh, We have cybersecurity leadership, digital forensics, incident response, security architecture, plus courses on DevSecOps, Python for cybersecurity, JavaScript security, ICS and SCADA and more. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning today. Thank you very much once again to Steve and Visible. And thank you all so much for watching and listening. And we will speak to you next week. Cheers.
about some free cybersecurity training resources for you and your team. Just go to infosecinstitute.com slash free to get eBooks, training guides, and more than 100 cybersecurity training courses, all free for cyber work listeners. Go to infosecinstitute.com slash free and start learning crucial new skills today.